The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good afternoon, everyone. So we're starting on the third and last segment of the path this month. This third segment is in Pali called bhavana, which means mental training, mental cultivation. So we started out with this kind of orienting overview of view and intention. And then we looked at how that's manifesting when we try to practice with our speech and our actions and what we're doing in our relationship to society. So I'd be really interested to hear what how what's happened so far has impacted your relationship with meditation so far has anybody has this had has this program had any effect on your motivation for meditating or how or why you meditate or any anything about that that you'd care to share there's some hands let me get the let's use the mics Um, well, the one thing it's done, especially for me since the inauguration, is um, a lot of anger comes up, and mm-hmm. under that is fear. Mm-hmm. And so the meditation, just it just calms. There's something very calming about it, and I'm much better able to use wise speech, and my, my intentions mm-hmm. seem to be calmer mm-hmm. so it's been very helpful yeah. thank you um, so I don't know that it has changed my practice it has more changed my life outside of the cushion mm-hmm. um, and um, I think the biggest improvement has been in, in relationships um, a lot of kindness has just come out from this. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Still on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to have uh, right speech be the topic during the holidays. <laughs> As you sit around the Christmas dinner table with supporters of one side of the political spectrum and supporters of the other side of the political spectrum. But using words like kindness and agreement and concord um, actually does work (laughs) to unpolarize people and just let them have a good time. Great. Thank you. Anything else about how how do you feel going into this section about meditation and and uh, looking at your states of mind a little more detail? Exciting. Excited. Okay, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, I I mean I feel for me that it's looking at you know seeing the path in action. You know I've been meditating for a long time, but it it keeps me inspired to see why I do this. You know, and it's not just about plopping down to kind of feel relaxed. It is, but it's also, 
you know, really inspired by the goal of looking deeply at the deeper and deeper and deeper roots of reactivity and where is this coming from and how can we see what's more clearly what's going on. Where is, why do we still cling, you know? I, it's, I'm loving that you all had these beautiful experiences, but I would guess that some of you also found times when you weren't so mindful and, you know, maybe the opposite experience of that. And so what's the deal with that? And just beginning to wonder about how, you know, I feel like this is the part where the, the Buddhist path really has some unique technology to offer in what it takes to actually begin to uproot and see through the really deep sources of our, our self-orientation and our you know, clinging and grasping orientation. So that's what we're heading into. And there are three factors in this part, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And these three really work together. Um, I'll talk, of course, the whole day is on effort, so I won't say too much about that now, except that I just loved a, uh, a talk I heard of Gill's a while back where he, there's something about the word effort that's a little, hmm, you know, is this really what I'm wanting in my life is more occasion for effort. <laughs> and so um, I love the fact that he just wound up saying, doing, you know, what is it that we do in meditation? You know, we're doing something that's different than not doing anything because maybe we're not all that 100% satisfied with how things are going and so we want to do something different. And so we can look at it at the lightest possible touch of what is it that we need to do in order to progress and deepen our understanding and our freedom. So Anyway, it's acknowledging that there is something to do here, even if it's a non-doing and our habit is overdoing. And then there's uh, mindfulness. It's, easy, it's this word, you know, is everywhere and totally used all the time until we, it hardly has any meaning left in it, it seems. And so we will really be looking at what the teachings are on mindfulness and what does mindfulness really mean next month so that we can understand that it's really quite a non standard relationship to what's happening that we're cultivating in mindfulness, a real ability to see it clearly as a phenomenon. And then the more we can do that, the more concentration develops. Concentration's another word that maybe is not the ideal translation. It's like a continuity of being able to do that. And as you continuously stay with something, it begins to have a certain momentum. And so the, maybe the momentum in your life shifts away from distraction and dispersion and toward a kind of steadiness and settledness and ability to stick with. One of my teachers used to have the illustration of an upside-down U-shaped horseshoe thing where the marble would just roll off, you know, the marble rolls off. And the more you practice, it kind of inverts and then it kind of holds it and the, the marble of your attention stays more malleably where you want it. So you can look at concentration as this growing ability to settle and have, a, have clarity and calm that you need in order to be a fertile ground for deeper insight to arise. So that's the plan for the next three months. And, uh, and then, of course, the path loops back around as you have insight, deeper view arises, more clarity of intention, wiser speech, and so forth, and so on for years to come, hopefully. So let's have a little guided meditation time here. So let's just take 
a moment to settle into your meditation posture. Just take a moment to deliberately, in a relaxed way, align yourself, align your spine. And purposefully find the posture that seems most supportive to you of staying relaxed and aware. And sometimes we might begin a session by just scanning through the body, looking for places of holding. And as I mention these places, see if you can notice how easily, gently, softly, what kind of so-called effort does it take to just move your attention? Very light touch here. So just bring your attention to the area around the eyes and forehead. And just noticing what's there. If just noticing it relaxes it, fine. If you get a little movement, maybe a little adjusting the eyes helps relax, fine. Same with the jaw. Just moving the attention to the shoulders, letting them relax. Moving the attention to the chest. Just simply allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel. Moving attention to the solar plexus. (coughs) Just opening and taking in whatever you feel there. down to the belly. Maybe just a scan down your back between your shoulder blades. Mid-back. Lower back. And the contact of your bottom with your chair. Just the intention to feel that little pressure, dingling warmth. and feeling where your feet contact the floor. And 
and maybe backing up to just take in the whole of your felt sense of the whole field of your body sitting here. And letting the movement of the breath come to your attention. And just having a clear knowing of what it's like to be aware of the feeling of breathing or the feeling of your whole body sitting, whatever your primary meditation object is, if it's something else. And what's the lightest, easiest, kindest kind of effort that it would take to just strengthen the intention to stay with that? Mind wanders, of course. Just appreciating that you know when you're back. Noticing the quality of your intention, the effort that that gives rise to, to just stay present. How can that effort be an expression of your intention to be kind and present and not clinging, but knowing knowing something that's happening directly in your experience right now. Are you aware? If you can ask that question, the answer is yes. What are you aware of? How are you aware? What's your relationship to that?
just aware. Might be the breath, might be some sound, might be another body sensation. If you've started to think or worry about something, can you shift into awareness of that? you find that your mind has wandered, instead of coming right back to the breath, see if you can bring awareness right where you are. Notice the quality of your mind in that moment. possible to be physically more relaxed, mentally more at ease, and still knowing what's happening. the mind wanders, what's the flavor of a mental state that it's been pulled into? 
pleasant fantasy, worrying and planning. Just noticing. Are you still clear about your intention for this meditation session? What's the least amount of effort you can apply to Keep that going. The last few minutes I'd like to invite you to experiment with doing nothing. Just do nothing, see what happens.
curious if anybody had any comments about how that was or anything come up for you in that meditation? What happens when you just do nothing? My awareness just stayed on, um, or my attention just stayed on awareness. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't go off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you had some momentum built up, and then it just stayed there. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was a different experience. I dropped into a state of kind of dreamlike, lots of mental images. yeah, that w- that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And then awareness kind of shrinked and then went back. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you were aware of your quality of your awareness and what was happening. Yeah, I think I had a slight degree of... I didn't do absolutely nothing because I sensed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still the mm-hmm. Anybody find it hard to do nothing? I did find it hard to do nothing, um, to make the transition, mm-hmm. um, because as soon as I, my mind started to, to I let loose of my mind, and it's, it's like, oh, oh, should go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. sort of um, almost had become a, a, a short-term habit uh-huh. uh, to do that. It's yeah. Sort of interesting. Yeah. Great. Yeah. This is fascinating. This is great. Yeah. me, sometimes when the words get in the way, like effortless, mm-hmm. uh, like push, mm-hmm. and the best thing for me is like blank, mm-hmm. and be back on the breathing, and the posture, and that's it, and then do not sleep, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was wonderful, yeah. it was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, there's no wrong answer here. This is an exploration into what are we doing with effort? You know, what 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 kind, what do we tell ourselves that we're doing when we meditate and what's useful and what isn't? And it varies by person, it varies by moment, it varies all the time, you know. So it's part of the art of it is just learning to explore that for yourself and understand that that's a question that you can learn something about. I think the the way for me to get there is like that. We all have it. We all have it. Mm-hmm. It's in there. Yeah. You just close your eyes in there. Yeah. Forget about this. Mm-hmm. Leave everything outside. Mm-hmm. It's in there like you put the bubble, the mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the balls inside the, the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is it is in there. You we're born with it. Yeah. We know it. Right. We all have it. Right. Just right. get distracted with the sales on this, sales on that, words here, words there. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. <clears throat> so when you said doing nothing, um, I felt I was kind of doing the same as when, and then I remembered that this is the effort week or something in my mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I was like, wow, this is interesting. So when I practice, I don't think I make any effort because it feels like the same. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to call attention to the fact that effort is not necessarily the right, you know. I mean, you're sitting, you've already sat down, maybe that's enough effort, you know. But <laughs> on the other hand, if you routinely just fall asleep and you might as well have taken a nap, then maybe you can explore it some more, you know. And so I just, I just think it's very interesting to start to look at what's meant by this word. So thank you for all your comments. Oh, one more. An old spiritual friend of mine used to have a thing that he said all the time, and that is, when there is nothing to do, do nothing. And uh, it, it seems like we're always doing something. And even if you're meditating, you're doing something, and you have a purpose. And it's kind of nice not to have any purpose. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I've certainly learned from this do-nothing instruction how a lot of habits of little, you know, grabbing, wanting something to do, grabbing at something, you know, you can kind of see some of those habits can surface if you give yourself a slightly different instruction like do-nothing. Oh, look, something's not very calm with that. <laughs> so, you know, just, just ways to learn things. So thank you all for your exploring this. So... Um, yeah, so there's, there's effort in meditation, and then there's also a broader understanding of this right effort when we look at it the way that it's defined in the teachings of the path. So one way to look at it is like really turning to see clearly that our inner state, our state of mind and heart is something that we can work with. It's not just a given, it's not just how things are. We can become like gardeners of our inner well-being. And it takes effort. And it takes effort not only, maybe less effort when we're actually meditating, although it can take a lot of effort to make room to meditate and to actually get yourself seated, right? And it can take effort of a certain kind that's very interesting to explore throughout the day. You know, effort when you are in, wake up in the middle of a bad mood or read some terrible news or something. What are we doing with this? So I, I love to share this quote from Henry David Thoreau, who's one of my favorite people. He says, I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue and to make a few beautiful objects. But it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do. To affect the quality of the day is the highest of arts. So I think maybe that appeals to me because I've, I've kind of always wanted to be an artist, but, you know, I don't have any talent. <laughs> so, but, oh, but, you know, there's this whole mind and body here that is actually quite malleable and can be made into something, you know, that... Can you just repeat the last sentence? To affect the quality of the day is the highest of arts. Yeah, so we've talked about how many wrong associations we might have, you know, and bad experiences of striving and effort and trying too hard. I don't think I would have started this practice if I'd come to a talk on effort the first night. It was not what I was looking for. <laughs> I, I came from a kind of fascination with Taoist poetry and this Wu Wei and not doing anything, and as I understood that, and at the time, probably not quite right. 
But, you know, that's why I was looking to do less and relax and somehow find a natural groove. And I think that's still what it's about, you know. But that's... But what we discover is that we have so many huge habits of striving, trying too hard, and trying to fix everything and hang on and control everything. So there's this interesting flavor of effort to stop making wrong effort. <laughs> you know, that, that also takes a certain amount of doing. The One of the standard teachings from the Buddha on this is about crossing the flood. This This wave of emotionality and all the stuff from our unconscious that can come up and the reactivity, the wave of reactivity. So someone asked the Buddha, how did you cross the flood? And he said, "Uh, I I neither pushed and struggled nor I stayed, and I didn't stay still. Because when I pushed and struggled, I was swept away. And when I stayed still, I sank. And so, you know, if you just started out telling a room full of people, just sit here and do nothing. You know, they had an experiment recently where people were in a room with an electric shock machine and with no further instructions than to sit there, they shocked themselves, you know, rather than just sit there. So we need some instructions of what we're doing here besides do nothing, right? But then it's a kind of minimal way to actually start to cultivate um, a, a wholesome quality of mind. If we do too much, which we're often doing, you know, we feel bad and we think we have to fight with that and then we're sort of sink to the level of mind that's upset and start arguing with it. That's like being swept away on this inner arguing energy. So really, uh, this kind of effort is more like persistence is a good translation for it. You know, starting again, coming back over and over, intermittent touching in. I briefly introduced one of Andrea's standard ways of teaching in there, which is just, are you aware? What are you aware of? You know, in a moment throughout the day, am I aware? What am I aware of? And what's my relationship to it? Am I struggling with it or wanting to hang on to it? So when you're sitting, it's like kind of staying engaged, you know, staying not just, not purely quitting. There may be times when you need to quit, so you just sit and quit, and then you trust that, you know, tomorrow's another day and it will be different somehow. But, you know, in general, over a lifetime, you're kind of trying to be engaged in what you're doing in your practice. Sometimes it's actually more like courage. The word itself, virya, is related to heroic, hero and heroic, you know. Sometimes it takes a heroic effort. You know, think of giving up addictions, working through addictions, working with severe pain and difficulty and great emotional upheaval. It takes a courageous effort to turn toward it in a wise way and start to open up and let go of some denial habits that we have. It takes courage. So there's this wholehearted quality to it that you can bring to it. There's a word that I appreciate called in Pali samvega. It's translated as spiritual urgency. And some people begin to feel that. Maybe some event in your life or some, something has made it clear to you that life is not all rosy or, you know, you might die or someone near to you might die or the politics might change or something might happen that you really have to, you know, you, you better look at this, right? Because you can't just carry on in a complacent way with how you've been doing there's a poem that, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have time to read this. Now that you teach this, you don't <laughs> have to. It's a verse from the Terigata, which is the verses of the nuns that, who were um, in the time of the Buddha. Wonderful kind of enlightenment poems where they describe their moment of enlightenment. 
This is one Gil shared with us recently. I went forth in faith from home to homelessness. I wandered here and there, eager for gain and honor. Neglecting the ultimate goal, I pursued a lowly goal. Controlled by defilements, I didn't know the renunciant's goal. Then, sitting in my hut, a sense of urgency arose. I had entered the wrong path under the control of craving. Short is my life. I am crushed by old age and illness. Soon this body will break apart. I have no time for waste. Looking at the arising and passing of the aggregates as they actually are, I stood up with a mind freed, having accomplished the Buddha's instruction. So this is a story of somebody who went and ordained, but then they did it sort of for, aren't I cool? You know, I'm, I'm a cool ordained person and I get all this free food for alms rounds. I don't know what the exact story, but there are a lot of ways to be ordained and not be taking it seriously. And then comes old age and illness and suddenly she realizes she doesn't really understand how she should have been practicing. And then she goes and gets some more precise instruction about seeing the arising and passing of what's called the aggregates. That's the mind, events of mind and body. We'll get into that maybe. Maybe not. You'll hear about it if you come and study here. And she accomplished the instructions and she freed herself. So that's an example of spiritual urgency kicking in. So another way to hold this practice, this idea of effort of practice, is of what it takes to really get to know yourself completely. You know, there's a wonderful little uh, Japanese short poem. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. That's another way to look at, you know, full realization. You know yourself completely. You know, so you can hold this. Or another teacher of mine used to say to love yourself completely. You know, this is a way of holding effort that isn't that schism between what some authority is telling you to do and what you should do and I'm not doing it well enough and all that. It's to get to know yourself completely and get to love yourself completely. And keeping it really simple. You know, just right now it's like this. Aware? What am I aware of? What's happening? Can be anything. All that is practice. All that is right effort. So when we come to the teaching of that's part of the Eightfold Path on right effort, it can sound a little daunting to read it sometimes because the Buddha in his way has broken it down into four things that might sound like a certain amount of gobbledygook, but they're really extremely commonsensical. And so the efforts are to abandon unwholesome mind states that have already arisen, to prevent unarisen unwholesome mind states from arising, to cultivate wholesome mind states that have not arisen and to maintain wholesome mind states that have arisen. So that sounds, you know, whoa. But it's so commonsensical, any amoeba does it actually, you know. They want... <laughs> it's down to that level, you know. If, if I, yuck, I don't like it, make it stop and then don't do that again. And then if it looks good, you know, let's get it and let's keep it. Right? So now that also sounds like clinging and aversion. So the difference here is that we are wisely turning our attention on ways that we pay attention and ways that we use our mind and body. And we're taking advantage of all these built-in mechanisms that actually don't want to suffer 
and we're just giving them fresher, wiser, higher level information to work with, you know. And so uh, one way of looking at effort is just this, you know, get to know your unwholesome states of mind and ways to let go of them, ways to not give rise to them. Work with ways to cultivate wholesome states of mind, peace and happiness, and when you've got one, you know, what takes it away? How can you kind of deepen it and expand it? So that's, that's the meaning of right effort. So in this definition is learning to discern wholesome and unwholesome. So, um, you know, translations for that are like skillful sometimes, useful, useful for the purpose of awakening that we're doing here. I, I like wholesome. It has this holistic rightness quality to it. Like what actually clicks with your mind, your heart, and your body? You know, what's the right thing to do moment to moment? The uh, teacher, uh, Said Atejaniya, I got this wonderful mailing from his group one day. Why does a wholesome mind arise? Why does an unwholesome mind arise? What is this wholesome or unwholesome mind? Why does a wholesome mind increase? Why does an unwholesome mind grow? Why does a wholesome mind decrease or fade away? Why does an unwholesome mind fade away? This is your field of research. So that one appeals to my inner scientist, like the other one appealed to my artist wannabe. This is <laughs> so you can be a scientist or an artist or just a practitioner, however you want to think of it. So I'm going to say a little bit here. I've taken a lot of time here on uh, abandoning the arisen unwholesome states. So this is a hard thing, right? When we wake up in the middle of anger, rage, anxiety, depression, whatever. So we start noticing this. What does it mean to abandon it? Obviously, it's not so simple, you know. So the main move is to become aware of it. And that may sound like it's not, it's not the kind of effort we usually use, which is to start hating ourselves for it or disagreeing with it or arguing with ourselves or forcing it to stop or eating ice cream or all of our various ways of trying to get this to stop. But making the effort to apply mindfulness and step back and notice. Notice how you're fueling that emotion. Not notice the difference between the notice the messages that it's sending you, what it's trying to get you to do, not acting on those messages necessarily, but not trying to force by trying to force the symptoms, we're really not getting at what's the root cause of of this situation as much as if we can just stand back and hold the whole situation in mindfulness, let it reveal itself what it's about and what we need to do with it. So putting your effort into seeing and knowing. One of my favorite stories from Sharon Salzberg, it's not really a story, but just somebody said they were at the Santa Fe Opera one night, and that's this beautiful open-air opera surrounded by mountains. And they were looking you know, down on the stage, there's all this rah, rah, going on, and the, but then they could look up and here's you know, the, the mountains and the night sky. You know? And so can it become like that with our inner dramas, where we can see them... You know, they're going on, they're doing their thing, they're singing and killing each other and raging and whatever. And, but the night sky, the mountains, you know, that's your, that's your grounding in the fact that this is just human stuff that's happening and you have this ability to see it in that context. So, you know, 10,000 times making this move of, wait, I'm buying into this, I'm arguing with it, I'm trying to make it stop. Let me just step back and see it as a phenomenon. 
And then we learn to tolerate, uh, working on our tolerance of unpleasant bodily sensations. There's often, you know, just the other day, the smallest little thing happened, and I, I felt my position challenged, you know, and I felt, Mah. and then I hung up the phone, and oh man, you know, whoa, you know, it was resolved amicably, but I could just feel that whole force, and it was so silly you wouldn't believe it. But I'm not going to tell you the story because it's too silly. <laughs> No, I will. It actually has to do with whether we get to use the room or Andrea gets to use the room. And it was that silly, you know? And so, but I just, I mean, it was like, no, it's our room. I reserved it a year ago, you know? (laughs) So, anyway, but, you know, so it was amicably resolved. But then afterwards, I was feeling, whoa, what is that? You know, just this thing coming up. And I just sat there with it, and it was unpleasant for a few minutes, and then it faded away. So it was no big deal. But, you know, you can see how this comes up around any time anybody's self, you know, your plans are challenged. Whoa, you know. So it just becomes interesting to tolerate those feelings and not act from them. Speaking of Andrea, she often teaches about, it's not like slamming on the brakes. It's like taking your foot off the gas, you know, or putting in the clutch or something and then just tolerating what happens as the car kind of... with the situation that you're working with. So, um, over time here, a few words on preventing the arising of unwholesome states. So probably in the course of working with them having already arisen, you've learned a lot about them. And you can look into situations. There's nothing wrong with avoiding situations that your practice is not up to at the moment. You know, I find it very interesting to notice that there's kind of a line where I can work with it and learn something from it, or is it just going to push me back into further reactivity and acting out of my old habits? And, you know, you can avoid. You don't have to read every last editorial. You don't have to necessarily engage in ways that you know are going to push you over into acting out of rage or anger or something. Um... The classic teaching here is on guarding the sense doors. It's so interesting to really be aware of a sensory ex- that a sensory experience is happening without necessarily just going right to the content of it. So, for example, I work with this on the lunch line at retreat. You know, I tell myself before I get there, seeing and smelling is going to be happening. You know, and see if I can notice whether my attention is drawn to seeing or smelling. And try to kind of notice it like that rather than, oh, you know, I want more of that right away into, right away just diving into the thing. Or you can work with that in shopping if you go to a store that has a lot of stuff you like. Tell yourself before you go in there. Notice how your mind is going to be attracted to all the things the advertisers want it to be attracted to. And can you just stay with the fact that seeing is happening? So we can examine and question our beliefs. You know, I have had a long belief that I grew up with, I think I mentioned before, that worry is a virtue. You know, if you can't do anything, at least you can worry, you know. And, and um, that's not so helpful. <laughs> so really questioning, seeing where that belief came from and what's so scary about trying, no, I can be cheerful, like Thich Nhat Hanh or the Dalai Lama or somebody who manages to live with difficulty or Gil and still be cheerful. So uh, there's that. Um, yeah, and then really um, working with getting more and more subtle through, this is where your inspiration hopefully for the meditation practice comes, is seeing the roots of this thing more and more deeply. There's a great teaching in one of the suttas on working with thoughts I like, where the Buddha says, 
it's like what if a man who is walking fast says, what if I walk slow? And then what if he's walking slow, he says, what if I sit down? And then he sits down and he says, what if I lie down? <laughs> and so it's, I often work with, let me just consciously slow down a little, you know, just slow down. And then you can see more. You, that, it's like that highest, most high velocity wave that's carrying you along kind of subsides and then you see what's underneath that and then you can let that be with that a while and then slow down consciously shift gears down and see what's beneath that and so we can work in that way with getting familiar and as we do that what we're doing is this this act that's called stilling the mental formations so we have our minds are full of mental formations that you know habits like worrying and so forth and we're slowly seeing them and stilling them and as we see them and still them then happiness and peace and the more positive qualities have a chance to start to show their heads above the waterline. And then Liz will talk in the second half about cultivating and maintaining positive, wholesome states of mind. So, not too late. We have time for our discussion here. So, let's get in groups of three. And this is optional, by the way. I've, some people just do not like this exercise, and that's fine. But, you know, some, I think many of you have found your way with getting something out of it. So it's also fine to do it or not. So groups of three. Are you okay? If you're okay, stay there. If you're uncomfortable, you can just find a join bigger group. I think this will work with any number. So we're going to do the format where we go round and round, and each person just puts in one idea, you know, a sentence or two, not, your whole, not a whole story. And hopefully we'll have time to get around several times, and then I have a second question that we'll do the same thing with. Okay, so we'll just spend a few minutes going around a couple times on this one. What associations and experiences do you have with effort that are not helpful in your Dharma practice? What associations or experiences do you have with making effort that are not helpful in your Dharma practice? Like not so helpful habits and attitudes around effort. Just No, the whole thing. In in um, the whole reason why you're doing this program and meditation and self cultivation, whatever's going on here. What what unhelpful baggage about effort are you bringing to it? Go. So I hope we've had at least a time to get around once or twice on this. I don't want to spend the whole time on what doesn't work, but. Um, <laughs> If, if that's where your energy is, you can continue to comment on that. But I would like to shift, shift your attention to what kinds of effort are most helpful or have you found helpful in working with difficult mind states? So just the opposite. What, what have you found that is helpful in working with difficult mind states? Same format, round and round. Good to hear from each other. Anything? 
microphone worked. Well, lots of great uh, uh, different understandings of what gets in the way and what's helpful. And uh, I I'd want to ask a question that is about self-compassion because mm -hmm. I'm a um, a person who realized very, very late in the game that I really didn't have much in the way of self-soothing capacity, just mm -hmm. somehow didn't get that in mm -hmm. life, and then learned self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And so I have a question for you about, um, and I'm using the, the method that's taught by Kristen Neff. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole little cycle you do, it takes a minute or something, mm -hmm. and you do that cycle. So um, in the midst of an aversive state, um, often I wouldn't necessarily label that as something I would give self-compassion to, but I've come to see that I have, you could call them aversive states, and I don't even notice how aversive they are or how painful they are. Yeah. But when I wake up, it is helpful for me to transition. So I'm getting to the point where, you know, I might do a certain... Mm -hmm. touch and yeah. so that that's one thing that's um, I just didn't know if you had any comment about something like that where the method is um, so it's a little it's a little more involved but it gets yeah. you to a state change yes that's great no I'm 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 really I love I've learned a lot from all kinds of different teachers and traditions and things and uh, you know I think I think that mindfulness is like the thing that makes us aware of is this working or not or is this helpful or not, you know? And the understanding of right effort is that we're trying to move toward more skillful states of being and less skill and whatever works, you know? It's not, it's great, you know? It's anything that works, you're, you can fold it in in a way that works, you know? And, then, and th these teachings help you be aware what works means, you know? I mean, it might work to play the lottery every day and, you know, you might get lucky, but that's not, you know, quite as likely to work as Kristen Neff's self-compassion training. So, you know what, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really appreciate your pointing to the practice of changing your body state, because if you're really stuck in a unwholesome or aversive or uh, unpleasant state, sometimes it is worth it to just go out for a walk, take a shower, take a nap, I mean, you know, why, why fight when you can do something like that? Yeah, you know, I, it, it, we teach meditation here because we're a meditation center, but that doesn't mean it's the only answer to everything. It's, you know, it's one thing, and we try to stay clear about what we're teaching here. We're not teaching everything, but that doesn't mean that everything isn't helpful at some point <laughs> for some people. Yeah, right. Anything else, Betsy? Thank you. Your voice was ringing in my ears because you had said earlier, keep it simple. And usually when I'm awakening to a place where I could afford myself um, a more astute choice uh, than I have been making, I'm fairly locked down around something and so they keep it simple um, when it occurs when it when it comes up when it when it comes to my awareness that I'm in a less wholesome state keep it simple means opening as fully as I am able uh, a step by step to the present moment 
And it's been very helpful because the reframing that I used to do um, and seeing myself against the night sky, I rather liked that as well. Um, sometimes it's the reframing itself. I found uh, myself efforting a little more than relaxing and opening to the, f- to the present moment. So I've been experimenting with that style recently, too, so far. Lovely effect. Someone in back first. Sylvie, someone in back is first. And then, yeah. You want me to go first? Yeah, go first. She's got a mic. I have Um, So uh, we had lots of really uh, great ideas. Um, But one that I like, because it's one that I do, (laughs) is... um, it's kind of the first and second thought where, you know, I get a lot of impulsive thoughts, especially around food and um, craving. And so, you know, I can reckon, you know, first coming into awareness like, oh, there I go again. I really want that thing or I'm kind of, you know, thinking a lot about having that thing. But what am I going to do about it? And just, you know, I don't have to have it just because I have this craving. I don't have to have it. And maybe I can do something else. And then there are other tools that I use, like, you know, calling somebody or, you know, writing about it or, you know, just diverting, interrupting, interrupting that, that, uh, that thought that's taking me somewhere that I know is not going to lead to a good place. So, thank you. Sylvie's lined up. So I just wanted to make a comment regarding the exercise itself because I found that um, those questions were really lovely in the sense of creating a a sense of intimacy. Like I know that there are some other groups, questions that we do that feel a little forced or too hard questions, but this was just flowing really well and it allowed us to know each other and in the vulnerability of our humanity, but in a very kind of comforting way. Um, So I thought it was beautiful. Good, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) One more and then then we'll take our break. Are Are we done? Or did somebody else? Okay, let's... Oh, Andrea is having her um, daily life practice group at three, and so we'll have our break out there as usual. But then, please, then we're, when we come back from break, we'll close the doors, and then they can have that room, and we'll finish up in here, and we'll exit out through the back doors here. So just have all your stuff brought in here or in the library or conference room before by the end of the break. We really didn't fight over it. We just, you know. (laughs) We both reserved the rooms a year ago. (laughs) We both love our groups and we want our groups to have a good experience. (laughs) And (laughs) carpeting. Okay.